Hello everyone, welcome back on the Agri Adventures platform, the Agri Adventures channel. Uh, today is another um, special episode of uh, the Agri Adventures podcast, is the fourth one that we have uh, based on gardening, uh, gardening tips. And uh, today, as usual, we're going to have uh, with us uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Hines from the uh, Ligaya Garden. Uh, welcome, Malcolm. G'day, Simone. G'day, everybody else who's here. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello, everyone, the people that's following us, especially from uh, the podcast. The podcast, it seems, has a good uh, success. Uh, YouTube is still interesting, but probably people like to listen about these things when they do stuff or when they drive the car or when they're busy doing something else. Anyway, so uh, the idea for today it was to speak more about how to get ready uh, for winter time. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the so the. Um, like for the people that knows that uh, we are located in South Australia, so Southern Hemisphere, uh, obviously May, but May is approaching for winter, even though we already are in winter. So there are the classic works that have to be done uh, for uh, the, uh, the winter season in the garden. And today, Malcolm will give us a little bit of an idea of what has to be done in terms of have the garden ready for winter, and then especially the next step, which is having it ready for spring. Is that right? Uh, we might be able to make second second instalment on that, that one. Okay. Getting ready for spring. Yeah. We'll just see how we go in time-wise. Yeah. Of course, of course. So what do you have for us today, Malcolm? Right. Um, well, winter's coming, as we know. Uh, all us older folk, we're putting our hats on, our beanies, our extra jackets our we got our aching bones now with the cold weather and <laughs> things are slowing down and it's the same in the garden too things are starting to slow down go dormant you're probably seeing the leaves falling off of your trees um different kinds of flowers coming out different kinds of bugs coming out too to eat your flowers and plants um so it's a time to to think of the garden the same way that we think of ourselves so the key this time of year is pruning to keep the, well, I'm only pruned to let the light into the garden and keep things tidy. Um, mulching, mm. putting a nice blanket over the garden to keep it nice and warm in, in winter. Keep all those microbes in the soil warm and toasty. Um, then you've got fertilizing. That's always another option too. So they're, they're the three big things that we really want to work on at this time of year. So one of the, the key things is to think, even though a lot of plants go dormant, they're not dead. Some people make that mistake. They don't die in winter. They're still active underground. They're still active inside, but just really slow and in a different way. Mm. And the soil's still alive too. The soil's active as well. Um, some of the microbes die back. Some of the insects die back but you get new ones coming in to take their place. So, and as we've mentioned before, it's uh, the microbes and the fungi that feed the plants and we feed them. So we've got to keep them happy as well. 
And the main thing is also over winter, we've got to think about watering as well. If you're you know, conditions are changing with the weather, with the climate, and uh, the tip is that as the atmosphere warms, it mm -hmm. can hold more moisture, which means less rain. But when it triggers and you get that rainfall, there'll be more coming down at once. You'll get a big, rather than soft, gentle, slow rains, we're going, we'll still see some of them, but we'll be seeing more torrential downpours. So you've also got to think about protecting your garden from that as well. And, and I, think that's going to, time. That's, I think that's going to apply all year. I've, I noticed the same this year in, in summer. And just the last couple of weeks, the rain just starts, bang. There's no introduction to it. There's no gentle easing into it. And I think last week we had several days where it was just bang, stop, bang, stop. And it was just short, sharp and sudden as the, the atmosphere dumped all of its moisture. So uh, we've also, later on, maybe we'll do a, a podcast on harvesting all that rainwater, different oh. techniques and ways to do it. Because That's a lot of that rainwater is going to just run off. It won't have time to soak in. It won't have time to ease into the garden. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe we'll do something else on that later on. That's interesting. I, I actually heard about uh, a project that's been brought on uh, in uh, Africa, I think in, um, in South Africa, from uh -huh. a professor that has been using kettles and then have been rotating kettles in the desert. And then you, if you figured it out that these animals, they have been uh, with their hooves and the way how they're behaving, they were helping out to stop the water instead of having the water flowing away on the surface of the ground. So that's interesting. We're going to have a little bit of that in the future, in the next episode, oh, okay. probably not for today. Um, so really what we'd look at pruning. Pruning is good to do when it's dormant, when the trees are dormant. Obviously you've got evergreen trees that need a bit of a tidy up as well, but doing it at this time of year gives the plant a chance to to heal before the new growth comes out. So the energy goes to the new growth rather than the healing in, in spring. Um, also, it's easier to do because the trees don't have fruit or leaves on. I'm talking about deciduous trees like pears, plums, things like that. They don't have leaves, they don't have fruit on. So it's easier just to, just to get straight into that. Um, this year, we're cutting our trees down to about two meters tall over winter. Mm -hmm. because we used to use the trees at Legai Garden to shade the front of the house but now that we know what vines to grow on the front of the house and when they grow best we don't need the trees to be as big and that means we get a better harvest as well because I can reach them <laughs> Absolutely. like five or six meters tall and I couldn't get up there and I'm getting old now and I don't like climbing ladders so um, yeah the birds got everything that was high. Mm. I have a question uh, pruning at that high is also helping the plant to preserve the energy. Yeah, also too. Once spring starts off again, remember they're dormant now, spring starts, all the activity goes out, they start bringing in all those nutrients mm. and there's less energy to go into the big, into the, the big old things, big old branches, big old things, and so it goes into new growth. Perfect. Okay. And that gives you a... I was questioning because uh, like I, I know something about uh, viticulture mm -hmm. and one of the secrets in many uh, type of uh, um, growing that they used is to keep the plant short 
So yeah. the plant has enough energy to pump and the majority of the energy goes into fruits. Well, mm -hmm. if you keep them growing too much, you spread the energy all over the plant and then you have less production. So that was interesting. I thought it, it applies, it's interesting. That was exact, that's exactly right. My next door neighbor used to be a viticulturist and mm -hmm. taught me how to prune my grapevines. And I was getting 200% improvement on what I had the year before. This year we were giving away grapes. We're just getting rid of them. Whereas years before we just had enough for ourselves. And that was purely because of his new pruning techniques that he showed me, which is the same, keep them short. See, a lot of plants, there's two different kinds of fruit trees in the deciduous ones, some which grow on old wood, the fruit grows on old wood, like plum trees. The wood has to be, the branch has to be two years old before it'll start to get fruit. And other plants such as our Sicilian nectarines, they get their fruit on the new growth. So you've got to know which kind of tree you're looking at if you're going for fruit production. Mm. So every year I, I prune my plum tree, but I make sure I leave a lot of last year's growth there. I'm, it's mostly last year's growth I leave on there not the, and take off the year before, the year before that. Um, our Sicilian necron tree, our tamarillo, also other things. I prune them so that all the new growth comes because that's where the new fruit will be. So you've just got to be a little bit aware about that and not just cut everything, <laughs> which is tempting. You've got a chainsaw, you go, zoom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, yeah, well, not really, because I believe that, you know, they come also the process of healing the plant and the work of cleaning after. So, yeah, but it's oh, nice, nice to know that different plants, they require different type of prunings and yeah. yes. And um, like in spring, and summer, you do a light pruning to tidy up. You do tip pruning. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a, lot of a lot of plants, if you prune the tips of the branches or the stems, you get more growth further down, back down further. So like basil, for example, every time you cut basil, you get two new branches coming up. So the more you prune it and the more you prune the tips of things, the more bushier they get, the better they look, and the more fruit you get as well. If, you, if it's a fruit tree. Interesting, so you have a plant outside and then when you go to pick this, the, 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 like the leaves from basils, for instance, you pick them just from the top and doing so it keeps growing. Yeah, yeah, the more you, to a point, the more that you cut it, every cut, especially the mint family, basil's one of the mint family. Um, most of those, yeah, you cut and you get two new branches coming out. Elder tree is the same, every time you cut, two new branches. So, Pruning just, and sometimes just going over the tips with a pair of um, secateurs or something, snips, it will just get a little bit bushier growth down below. So if your plant's looking um, tall and straggly, sometimes just cutting the tips off will get make it a lot um, thicker and lusher looking too. Okay, interesting. interesting. Yeah. And also, yeah. Sorry, one of the reasons you prune as well at this time of year is to the sunlight into the lower levels of the garden, into the soil. In summer, we want to try and block all that heat. Mm. But in, in winter, we're trying to absorb as much as we can. And in the, in the coldest part of winter, you can't do anything, so you just leave it. But I like to let as much sunlight in now as I can to warm the soil, cover it over with mulch, keep that warmth in for a while. 
and then at the beginning of spring, when the warmer weather comes, actually pull back the mulch, let the sunlight and let the fresh water in there, let the oxygen in there, and let it all warm up and activate everything. Because yeah, a lot of the a lot of the bugs and things in the soil, they they like a little bit of warmth to make them work more more effectively and multiply. So you let that in, then just before summer cover it back over again so it's it's just like a blanket on the bed you know you, you exactly it's times that you want to be warm times you want to be protected and times you want to get some fresh air <laughs> exactly i was i was actually thinking about that like it's, it's really more a blanket but the difference is that uh, for winter pruning and having the sun hitting the ground is the way i feel extra warm while uh, in generally it's in summer when we prune our ear or air and then because it's too hot, you know, that's, that's a little it's bit different. Same. It's the same, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so also, yeah, letting the sunlight into, we have a lot of ground covers here at our, in our garden, uh, sweet potato, all kinds of, all kinds of things. And this time of year, it just gives us that extra, extra little bit of growth as well so that we can get a little bit more harvest, the plants are healthier. Um, as I said before, we used to totally block the sun on one side of the house, but now we don't need to do that. So the plants this year will get, um, we'll get a much better harvest from them as well because uh, they'll just be happier. So I can do a little bit of a, a screen share here, if you would yeah. like. Yeah, this would be useful. Yeah, so, can you see that clearly? Uh, it's loading. Yeah. We are at the garden now. That's right. If you've seen our garden before, mm -hmm. it's totally covered. Now we've got light in there. We've got air. We've got a clean path. We've got <laughs> everything's just dropping back now. So that that hasn't been pruned yet. Uh, the the elder tree in the middle has been pruned right in the middle, but the rest of it hasn't. Um, because I had some groups coming out over the last couple of weeks and I wanted them to see the full garden. So, but now for the next week or two, pruning is the, the big trick. And you see that's our, our cover there. Yep. Just the leaves are falling. We're getting um, more sunlight coming in, but basically none of that will be there you know, in two weeks. All of that that you can see there, it'll be gone. It'll just be open sky. Mm. And then do, by next summer. Think, do you think it's something that naturally the plants they are looking for? Like they are leaving, they're losing the leaves for the motive that they want to warm up their roots? That's part of it. But also um, what they do is, you know, a leaf is full of chlorophyll, mm. which is the chemical that converts the sunlight into energy. Mm. Um Deciduous trees, they come from areas where there's not a lot of sunlight in winter. So they're making chlorophyll for a very small return. They're not getting much out of it. So what they do is they withdraw the chlorophyll back into the plant. So the green comes out of the leaves mm. and you're left with the chemicals called keratins, carotenoids, antioxidants, in fact. Um, and that's your reds and your yellows and your oranges. They're, they remain in there. And then because the leaves not getting any more energy, it falls off of the tree. Okay. Then, so is that saving energy from the period in which they can't get enough energy from the sun? Yeah, because it takes energy to make all of this stuff. It takes energy to make the leaves, 
Mm. It takes energy to make the chlorophyll. And some of that energy comes from um, you know, soil nutrients, but most of that energy comes from sunlight. And even though you know we're in Australia, we get more sunlight. You think of these trees coming from England, coming from Europe, coming from North America, um, coming from Japan, where you know winter is really dark and heavy. Mm. So there's no point in them having leaves out there. Interesting that the plants they are thinking about uh, sustainability and the use yeah. of resources, like little businesses. <laughs> <laughs> They're very efficient. They're super efficient. Mm. I like to see a tree as a system. It's not. It's not a, as an individual thing. Mm. It's, it's a, a whole lot of functions connected to a whole lot of functions, and you know, all of those functions are organic, and they're all done through organisms and energy, and chemical transfers, and all that kind of wonderful stuff. So, wow, cool. can, yeah, that's what we like to speak about, don't we? That's it. That's it. It's called systems thinking. Thinking of it as a system, mm. not just an individual. So the next most important thing mm -hmm. to sh share the screen here. Oh, okay. There. Uh, pull that one back up. Uh, okay, you see this picture now? We're getting sunlight down in this I'm area. Reloading. Okay, perfect. And we, didn't, we haven't but, been getting sunlight in that area in, because that's right in the centre of the garden. We'd like that to be the coolest place. Mm. But now, just with the leaves falling naturally, they're, um, they're ending up there as well. So probably the next most important thing is pest control. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you can see that nice looper caterpillar there. Mm -hmm. So they're... Um, that's better. Um, yeah, you'll notice this time of year the pests change. We get different, different bugs. Mm -hmm. We get different bugs there. Um, the white cabbage butterflies come in that everybody just loves. And excuse me a second. Yeah. Um, yeah, different bugs, slugs and snails coming out in a lot more lot larger numbers. Uh, different birds come in as well. So you've just got to look at um, changing your pest control to suit the, the time of year as well. Okay. And I found like with um, cabbage moths, cabbage butterflies, uh, the best thing to do is actually just to net your crops. So I've given up on poisons and sprays over many mm. years ago. And until last year, I just used um, maybe soapy water or chili and garlic. Um, but because I'm aware now of um, the beneficial insects as well, mm. I prefer just to um, not to use those. So what I've started doing now, especially in our aquaponics at the back, is just to net the whole thing. That's where our leafy greens grow out the back there. So, so it's like a, uh, is a physical barrier instead of in, uh, using chemicals or using other, you just cover everything so yep. that it, there is not going to be any uh, damage and and then you don't have any imbalance in the soil after. That's right. And you, you um, the, that applies mainly to our leafy greens our, mm -hmm. and broccoli, things like that, things that don't need pollinators to come in. So no, not for fruit, because the uh, the nets, they block the pollinators too. Mm -hmm. 
they can't get in. So moths and bees and things can't get in there either. So um, just for things that don't need pollination or things that are going to be having fruit in a couple of months, um, yeah, net them now, physical barriers. And then if you need to take those nets off later on to let the, let the pollinating insects come in. Mm. So yeah, slightly different technique this year, but we're having, already we're having much better results. There's hardly anything with bug damage on out there anymore. Okay. So, and do you use some specific type of nets? Do you have any advices for the followers or uh, um, just yeah, general? Get a woven net, for example. I like white because it just gives more light. Mm -hmm. You get dark colored nets and things, but um, get a woven one, not the extruded one. The extruded one's like produced from a big machine and pushed, pushed out like plastic. It's plastic. Um, that's very weak. And every time you catch a tool in it or a I've got a lot of buttons on my shirt, caught in them on shirt sleeves. The the netting's so weak, you just tear it. You tear holes into it. Ooh. And you can get your fingers and you can just pull them in and just go like that. No pressure, no effort. And tear it. So to me, that's a waste of time. Mm. They get a woven one. And there's different size holes as well in the in them. So get the smallest one you can. Okay. I don't know about brands. I've tried several different brands from here and I've found that the the woven one from Bunnings is probably the best one. It's strongest and cheapest as well. Okay. But it, um, for four square meters, it's $32. Mm -hmm. No, $34. But if you buy four meters by 10 meters, it's only $32. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> probably you know, different production and different scale yeah. and therefore price is different. Okay. Yeah. So that's good for the people who's following, you know, you can go to Bunnings and then you can find easily this type of uh, uh, nets for, yeah. for protecting. But you can use also um, old curtains, old net curtains from your, your windows. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people still use net curtains anymore. I mean, I know mum and dad. Yes. Um, but they're all, you've also got to think when you use them that they're made to block out a little bit of the sunlight. Mm -hmm. So if you're using those as a net, on your plants they'll be losing a little bit more sunlight so um just temp as temporary measures they're really good okay and i've known people in to use shirts and t-shirts and everything just to block these bugs <laughs> well depends which is the size of the area that you want to protect I mean, yeah that's if it's just a vase you can just put the 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 t-shirt you know, the light one on the top yeah. of it for a period of time that, you know, that can be dangerous. At least it's definitely a positive thing better than using uh, chemical products and, yeah. and then having the impact after. And yeah, uh, so these nets weren't made out of, um, weren't made out of plastic, but unfortunately that's all we've got. So mm -hmm. but they'll last a few years. They're not just for one use. They'll last as long as I'm careful and I don't knock holes in them and do the wrong thing. Um, they'll last for, I don't know how long, many years. Well, definitely. Obviously, having the, 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 the natural materials one, that will be the top, but probably is going to be a bit more expensive. And, and I think they'd break down faster too. Say again? I think they'd break down faster as well. So. Oh, yeah, of course. So being outside with the weather, absolutely. And uh, what do you do instead in the areas that you need a pollination now? Like, is that something you can use or uh, you simply... Leave them open. 
Yeah, and then the, do you spray and if you simply go around and have a look. My fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, have, you have a look around and then you just, you see which are the bikes around and yeah. just remove them. I've been doing a lot of work on pest control lately, writing articles and um, writing a small booklet as well mm -hmm. on organic pest control. So I've been out in my garden every day with my camera and my phone and my I'm seeing many insects, so once I've got a photograph, squish, next photo, I squish. <laughs> it's mm, the best way. I know that there is a technique that uh, it's used in biodynamic, and then these, they collecting uh, the bikes, specifically the first one that they are arriving in the garden, and then the, letting them macerate in water, mm -hmm. and then, the, then using this water and spray the water on the plants you don't want to have uh, attacked mildly because it's a sort of way to you know spray the the smell of dead bugs and then they are afraid from it mm -hmm. i don't know if it's like i don't have a lot of knowledge in biodynamic but that's something that i remember for some products like potatoes or things like that the theory that i heard about it was that um by doing that you're encouraging the parasitic microbes the bug the bugs that cause disease in those pest bugs you're you're breeding them up and encouraging them so when you're putting them back on the plant the pest bug comes along and catches the disease or gets deterred from um just deterred from being there because it knows that it's going to get sick wow never thought about that it's like yeah. for us like if you had dead bodies sorry not nice for the people that are listening but if you have dead bodies they develop thicknesses yeah. And then you just concentrate those and you spray around and you make it poisonous for the for the bugs. Well, obviously, really good. Yeah. Never thought about it. I've done that on a very small scale, just a test pot once, and it seems to work. But um, usually, I I, uh, I try not to kill. I try to kill as little as I can. So you know, if I, mm. if I individually squish bugs that are on an individual leaf, that's mm. okay. Rather than just trying, because in a healthy, balanced garden as a as an ecosystem. You shouldn't get too many of one kind of bug. You shouldn't get the big population buildups. So if you're paying attention to your garden as an ecology, as a balanced dynamic system, you don't get those big bug invasions. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> That's probably uh, something that uh, you might have to do when you go on a bigger scale. Like when it's going to be your own garden or your back garden, you can still, you know, go and go on your own and then check out and find. And that is actually, you know, the relaxing time that you have in looking after your garden, like your family. Yep. And it matters how much time you've got as well. If you're a very, very busy podcaster and TV producer like yourself, you may not have the same amount of time that I do. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, yeah. It's nice to learn about it. Okay, yeah. and uh, you were speaking about what was the next step? It was um, watering. So again, watering. Yeah, watering in winter is important still. Okay. Often we'll forget pot plants. I, I do all the time. In winter, I think oh, it's raining. Okay, neighbor, but you know, you've got pot plants under shelter or something like that out of the way. They don't get drained and they dry out and they get sick and they die. And I, I've been guilty of that many, many times. <laughs> many. I have two plants on the on the balcony over there and they, they're yeah. surviving so far. Yeah. <laughs> you just think, yeah, it's raining, they're fine, but you know, they ultimately they're not getting water. So pay more attention to your pot plants as well. Mm. Uh, regular doses of a good liquid fertilizer, 
mm -hmm. you know, worm urine, nettle tea, um, even a little bit of sea salt, thrive, to give them all that little bit of extra protection. Okay. And this is a good time to give a good fertilizing this time of year right now before the cold really comes in. So that gets everything into the soil. The plants, they get a few more nutrition, a bit more nutrition now. They're healthier when they go dormant or for the cold weather. Um, and when spring comes, the nutrients are already in the soil. So do a good fertilizing now and a good water mm -hmm. and do the same again just as spring comes as well. And you'll have a continuous supply of nutrients and food for those plants. Mm. And they'll they'll kick up nicely. Yeah, yeah. and uh, for the people that have been following, we actually had a podcast when we were speaking about make your own fertilizers at yeah. home with uh, number two leftovers or so that that was interesting. They can go to have a look on the previous episodes to yeah. find more about it. And um, do you think, in terms of watering and irrigation, do you think uh, the fancy you know, uh, dripping, water dripping irrigation systems are required for winter or is just better having a look? No, okay. I, I, our, our whole front garden is on drip irrigation, very targeted, very specific for each plant. Mm -hmm. um, and that's as a water conservation measure. Mm. But this time of year, I don't think that's so important. Just if you've got time with a hose, away you go. Yeah. Because obviously the heat is not too aggressive, so yeah. it's probably easier for you just to look at the plants and understand where they need more, and then you know see the imbalance. And okay, yeah. interesting. You're not you're not losing as much to evaporation either. Mm. But make sure that at least at this time of year, the water the the soil is damp to about ten centimeters down. Okay. Because we're going to the next topic now: the mulch. Ah, okay, perfect. Now, mulching. Um, they can actually stop water from getting into the soil. If your mulch is too good, it's too protective, it's too good a blanket, some of this, the water, not as much water will get to the soil. So before you mulch, make sure that you, with the liquid fertilizers and with the, the watering, you give it a good soak first before you put that blanket on the top there. Okay. And that, so that's, that's probably a big tip because I've, Many times I've seen people's mulching and I've done it myself and I've gone out after a rainstorm, lifted it up and the soil underneath is dry. Well, it's too, too good mulching. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, no. Think of that, we think of that as a summer problem, but it's also a winter problem as well. Because if your mulch is too good, you know, when mulch dries out, some, some kinds of materials become um, hydrophobic. They, mm. they repel water. They, they won't absorb water. You've got to, and it takes a lot of water and a lot of time, relatively, to get that mulch to the point where it will allow water through again. It's, it's quite a lot of work once it gets to that stage. And then how long generally the mulch stays before the moment in which you remove it? Like two, three months or how long? Depends on what you're using. Mm. I have a, we have a continual mulching system here. And we've, if you look from the street level mm -hmm. to our ground level, we've come up about 40 centimeters. And that's when we first put the garden down, we covered with um, cardboard, mm -hmm. cheap mulching. And then we put several cubic meters of different things on top of it. And that was a mistake of mine as well in that first year because I, I chose materials which became hydrophobic. They wouldn't absorb water. So 
we'd be watering and the water would all be beating up on the surface and not soaking in. Mm. And then I had to modify that with other organic materials and things for the next season. And it was, you know, still a learning experience. I've made mistakes and some very costly ones as well. <laughs> Mushroom compost isn't cheap, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it, it uh, hydrophobic? Mushroom if it dries out, yes. Yeah, very much so. Oh, okay. I didn't know about that. Yeah, You're already probably... speaking about mushroom compost, all these type of things, which is really interesting. And um, are there, so do you have any pictures that people could see about the mulch or? Uh... Let me come to sharing again. Because obviously for people that's following us via the radio, maybe they are not capable to see it. But for people that's following us, also now on Spotify video, by the way, okay. they can have a look at what we are doing and, and have some tips just from the look. Okay, I might, I'll have to investigate that further. Um, okay, so mulch, this is just your basic straw. Mm -hmm. This is, is good quality straw. I've got a friend who works um, with export straw. This is the good stuff that goes to Saudi Arabia. So it's got no seeds in it and it's very, very tightly compressed. Um, but any kind of straw is good. Mm. You've got to be a little bit careful just using straight straw because it has uh, it's hollow, and lots of insects and bugs can get inside. And also, like pea straw, you get that black mold if it stays wet for too long, and that can be a little bit of a health hazard. Um, so the trick is is to cut it fairly fine, keep it small. So even the mulch that I get, mm -hmm. this goes through a mulch. Here's some with. Um, the next image with mold on it already. Mm -hmm. Now that's a natural thing. The mold is breaking down the straw <laughs> and turning it into nutrients, which mm -hmm. is natural. But sometimes we don't want that if we, if it's a, um, a thing that's very visible or if we have um, any kind of health problems, respiratory problems. But this is a perfectly normal thing. We see the long lengths of straw there. Yeah. So I'd normally put them into a mulcher and cut them down much more into uh, uh, less than one inch, if I can, one inch lengths, quarter okay. inch lengths. What's that, two centimeters? Yeah, mm -hmm. not long, not very long. And that also helps them to break down faster because mulch is also, mulch basically will become compost, which will feed the soil. So there's a difference between mulch and compost. Mulch is larger particles, mm -hmm. uh, it's broken down, whereas compost is much finer. Um, broken down a lot more there's a lot more nutrients in there that are immediately water soluble okay so they'll soil whereas compost uh, a mulch will a good mulch will break down on the soil the soil life will do the job and break it down for you so if you look at your mulch after several months you'll notice you've got the good stuff on top that you can see and down below it's getting smaller finer blacker usually which is a good thing yeah, especially if you don't want to do this job this is, every day. <laughs> this, is, um, this is mushroom from our, our local mushroom grower. Mm -hmm. So it's been cut down very fine. It's a good mulch and it's also already been partially broken down by the mushrooms as they eat it to grow. To grow. They, their enzymes break it down. So it makes a really good mulch straight onto the soil. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we get bonus mushrooms out of them too, which just keep growing in the right conditions. But this is, if I'm going to use it, I put this down first 
and then I put the thicker straw on top because this will break down faster. And you don't want your mulch breaking down too quickly, otherwise it just it doesn't do its protective job. Okay. This is my mix that I use, my special mix. Um, you'll see in there fine bits and pieces. Of some, so what, I, what I do, I have a deep litter system in the chicken run. So mm -hmm. um, this is more of a compost than a mulch, but it has sort of dual functions. So all of the organic material goes into the chicken run. They break it down over a couple of months. Then it comes out and goes on the garden. And that's been mixed with chicken poo and um, feathers and dust and every kind of good stuff that you can think of mm -hmm. and all the foods that we put in there. And then I mix this with, you can see here, some sheep poo. I have a friend who runs sheep on his property. And where he puts the hay down, they eat everything. And they also, what they don't eat, they chop into very small pieces and they poo into it and they wee into it. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a fantastic feed for the garden too. So I mix that with my chicken mulch, and then I've got a powerful, powerful, um, slow-acting fertilizer, which is just fantastic. And because it's gone through the chicken run, uh, no seeds and no bugs in it either. So I'm starting off clean when I put it on the soil. But once again, this would go under the straw. I put mm -hmm. this down first, then I put, like I put this down now. Let's just go back. So I put that down now, let it get wet, let it get soaked in. And just this week, I'm starting to put the layer of straw on top. So this is kind of halfway between mulch and compost, and this feeds the soil. Mm. And the straw breaks it down as well. So with mulch, you've got to be very careful as well. And this is a picture. This is just fine compost. This is spread yeah. out of a home farm. It's really beautiful condition, that one there. Mm. So um, let me grab my cup of tea. Yeah, of course, of course. While well, you have a sip, so it's interesting uh, the the multi layers of uh, not just the functionality of uh, the mulch, but also uh, the time of uh, the action of these functions. Mm. So when you when you plan your mulching, you're not considering the short time, you consider the long time, and yeah. then you consider also the evolution of the mulch in this time, so that in the end, you're gonna end in spring, and then you have uh, mildly uh, a more nutritious soil, and then uh, you have the right humidity, and then probably you have also the development of the bugs that they exactly. are positive for the plants in spring. So wow, it's really, really important. I didn't know about it. But um, I mean, you can just, because I, I like to separate mulch from compost, but mm -hmm. my goal is to make something that will be put down as a mulch and become compost very quickly while still doing the same job. Um, but in the extreme times of year, the hottest summer and the hottest of, and the coldest of winter, mm -hmm. you still need that blanket on top. You still need that extra layer of mulch. Just for protection. The yeah. Otherwise, the, the sun is going to burn the, the, the soil. It's going to sterilize everything, and then, and obviously plants are going to suffer. And if you think yeah. in nature generally, they have the plants. They don't have that exposition. They have all the, you know, all the past years of uh, leaves and broken branches. So they have all the ecosystem that we try to keep running to have a good quality product at the end. If you go into a pine forest, you've got 
just by, you know, find needles, but you dig down and down and down and they're just glorious, they're beautiful. Mm, absolutely. I actually been to the Kaipo forest uh, no long ago looking for mushrooms okay. and uh, yeah, beautiful smell, beautiful environment. And uh, it really reminds me the, the time of the year. Yeah. yeah, I haven't been mushrooming yet, but um, friends that have been have told me everything's early this year. There's plenty of everything already. Mm, it is. It is. Like saffron milk caps, your lacaria, your slippery jacks. We're, we're unfortunate that some of the really spectacular mushrooms we don't get here in the north, like mm -hmm. your beliefs and think that your uh, what are they called? Uh, what's it called? Um, Puccinis. Oh yeah. Everybody loves Puccinis, but we don't get them here in the north. They're a, a more towards the south down there. So. Oh, good. So I have to figure it out where to find Puccinis. They are my favorite one. Yeah. And the wood blue at the purple one. If we don't. Rarely we get it up this way, but it's mainly down south where there's more more moisture for the whole year. Mm, okay, so we are given the mushroom parentheses, like the brackets. Yeah. <laughs> so we have water, we have mulching, we have pests, and uh, we have pruning. Wow, I think we have done. Is there anything else you should be done in this time of the year? What do you think? Oh, look after yourself as well. Make sure you. <laughs> You rug up when you go out, make sure you have a cup of tea with you. And, mm. um, you know, just make sure common sense things, look after yourself. Mm. If you've got a flu or something and you're stuck inside, you don't want to garden, your garden suffers, you know, and you suffer as well. So, mm. absolutely. Well, I think that the, uh, you know, going outside in the garden is always a sort of therapeutical activity. Definitely. It's uh, relaxing and then you come out from your problems and then you start to look after other creatures. So it's really a positive thing to do. Yeah, it is. It is. It's serene. Okay. I think that for today is gone. Do we want to say anything yeah. else to the followers? Nothing besides stay warm, stay happy. Stay warm, stay happy. Uh, yeah. If you're nearby, come along, say hi from the south or from the north. Yeah. And then uh, enjoy your garden with Aggie Adventures, with yeah. Malcolm, when the Ligaya Garden. And if you come here from the south, bring Porcini with you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can bring Porcini to me too, anyway. <laughs> so thank you very much for following this episode of Aggie Adventures, getting ready for winter with Malcolm Miles, Simone Berliat. See you the next time here on radio, podcast, and YouTube. Have a good day. Next time. Bye, Simone. Ciao.